0: All right, Quentin we're back and uh this week we are the culture vultures because uh it's your birthday Quentin it's your birthday happy birthday how are you doing
1: uh I'm, gr- I'm great yes <laughs> as you guys are probably hearing this it is my birthday uh, turning happy uh, birthday uh, I'm, pr- I'm turning a very old 25 uh thank you <laughs> yes. and uh and you hear that there br- fuck you <laughs> <laughs>
0: Exactly, you're getting there every year. You're getting a little bit closer to being the same age as me. I'm, I'm counting it down. Um, but uh, that you heard there, your special guest, special birthday guest for Quentin here, Dave Musgrave. Dave, how are you doing tonight?
2: I'm doing fantastic. I'm not 25, but no, I am doing fantastic. So, and it is my right. dog's birthday, she is six.
0: <laughs> well, happy birthday to uh, uh, River, River. right? That's the dog, yeah. yeah. River beautiful dog the rest of you don't get to see her unfortunately i'm sorry but me and quentin did um so quentin dave musgrave a guy that you've uh <laughs> referred to as your podcast dad
1: in the past
2: uh, <laughs> <laughs> i've never heard this that's awesome yeah oh uh
1: so yeah like <laughs> like dylan like dylan knows this because i talked to like dylan uh uh dylan Hales pretty pretty frequently like he knows he knows like how i regard like you guys and like wrestling culture and how much that like meant to me as i was like getting deeper into this like bubble of wrestling fandom and like i've listened to all the audio that you guys have done pretty much all your wrestler profiles things like that i've listened to your fallout of the 2016 gwe like multiple times and stuff like that so i've always really appreciated the way to, in which you guys detail talked about and broke down wrestling so as i was doing um my own it's pop- so
2: cool and appreciated, by the way.
1: Um, so I, when I started doing my own podcast um, called "Psychology Is Dead," one of the first things that got that it got compared to by a couple people, it was like got called wrestling, got called like a like a different spin on wrestling on wrestling culture, and that was like the coolest shit in the world to me, just because That's of how, just because of how much I liked the podcast. So Dylan knows this, and if Dylan listens to this, he'll hear it again. But. Uh, yeah, thank you, man. I'm am a really big fan of you, and yeah. So pri- so privately, I've definitely called you and Dylan my like my podcast dads.
2: Oh, that's amazing. It's uh, I, I had no idea about this. It makes my day. So uh, I really well, appreciate and,
0: it. <laughs> and I was gonna say, Dave, I know you know older guy. I mean, uh, you know, but uh, especially older than Quentin here, turning twenty. Yes, I am
2: actually but- old enough to be your dad. <laughs>
0: yeah, but uh, you may not even know, but like at this point, you're like a, a podcast grandpa because Qu- there's Quentin has kids. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah, you got dude, Joseph so fucking- oh, Wow. Yeah, yeah, so
1: fucking weird now, dude. It's like wow. after how long I've been doing like the psychology is that thing and how much like that was like kind of like per- uh, perforated through like certain sections of uh, of wrestling Twitter and stuff like that. Like someone like Joseph Montecilio, like a close friend of me and some of these at this point and like how successful he is. It's weird to then have Joseph like, t- like talk about how much psychology is dead was like, uh, was a big thing for him and him learning about like different stuff about wrestling too. And to just like sit there and like connect that to like how much wrestling culture did for me and probably a bunch of a bunch of other people. Cause like now I'm I feel like I'm one of the older people on wrestling Twitter somehow. Like there's people following me that are like 18, 19 years old. And I'm like, what the fuck? How do you? who let you on Twitter, but, uh, but yeah, like wrestling culture definitely has roots that even go into to like super successful YouTubers like Joseph.
2: That's amazing. I had no idea that I had any influence still.
1: <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's there. You can follow, you follow the lineages and you can, you can definitely see how it, uh, how it goes. Um, speaking of the lineages, did you guys hear that, uh, Will Ospreay gave Tetsuji Fujinami COVID? <laughs>
1: <laughs> i saw that he, i saw that he had covid but it's from osprey
0: <laughs> well they both got it so to me the joke is you know osprey got it gave it to him which would be fucking miserable if osprey <laughs> gave fujinami covid and something bad happens
1: no that that that's that seems like a good thing to like have in mind just in, just in case if you want another thing to talk about uh sean osprey for so i'm all for it
2: yeah, uh, I yeah. don't want to name the name, but I believe. And when I went to a wrestling show recently, I did give one of my favorite wrestlers COVID by shaking their oh. hand.
1: Jesus. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, if it was Minoru Suzuki, thanks because he gave it to me. Um, but uh, either way, Quentin, <laughs> one more question, Quentin. I wanted to ask you a birthday, a birthday question. Okay. Uh, something right up your wheelhouse. Not really birthday related, but this is something that's up your wheelhouse. All right. So. If I was going to say what wrestler is, like, TNA, like, when you think of TNA, you think of the wrestler, it's got to be AJ, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. Like this, Right. Did, did someone say otherwise?
0: <laughs> no, no, no. That's the, that, the point there. But then, okay, now let's say we're talking about impact. What wrestler is impact? And to me, I would posit that the wrestler who's the most, like, impact, when you think of impact wrestling, not TNA, but impact, is EC3
1: dude that was the exact think? same the exact perfect same okay thank
0: you me. yes i mean he's so impact that even when he went to wwe he was still ethan carter the third he was still like a fucking uh oh my god i can't believe i forgot her first name D- dixie um, carter dixie carter's nephew like even when he was in wwe he was still technically dixie carter's nephew that's like so how impact he was no yeah but
1: it, i just it thought was about a- that that would that's actually insane i was sitting there and you said that question i was like i think ec3 and then you said it and i was like oh wow <laughs> perfect uh, yeah the, hi- the hive mind is definitely in sync today yes the most impact wrestler dave what do you think who's
0: the most impact wrestler <laughs> uh,
1: i have a soft spot for josh
2: alexander i was gonna but say I josh alexander
0: is kind of becoming first. the new yeah, yeah. He's and like I think it's because of the quality,
2: the quality of the product that you have someone that great on top, right? So
0: yeah, definitely. And his match just his match just recently against Moose was phenomenal where he won the title. Um, I don't know, Quentin, if you saw it. I would guess maybe Dave, you saw it if you're talking about that.
2: Not just yet, but I plan to. Oh, okay.
0: I recommend checking kind of it out. Sorry if work. I just spoiled it. Yeah, sorry no, no, if I just I knew spoiled the it. Yeah. But. Okay. But yeah, great match, <laughs> great uh, post match. All of it was really fucking good. So I'd recommend checking it out um so anyway like we said episode opened it up with a culture or a culture vultures this week because we're uh, maybe knocking off a uh, wrestling culture a little bit um and we do have dave here with us so we're gonna do this was dave brought this topic and i kind of liked it um and maybe there's some some more reasons behind it that i'll let him explain but uh top five things to love about wrestling in 2022 and dave how about you explain talk about the other stuff maybe related to this and then go ahead and give your first uh you know your first thing, if you feel if you'd like to,
2: I would sure like to. Uh, so, I'm getting back in the game. Uh, I am the PCO of Wrestling Podcasting and Writing. Uh, I'm hoping to start a podcast soon, but I've started blogging this week at pretending to fight. Uh, so, I wrote my first two posts one about an introductory thing, and then I wrote one about the top five things that are awesome in 2022 in preparation for this show. So, my first one is uh, wrestlers from the indie Genesis era. So basically getting to watch wrestlers right now that were a big part of the indie boom. So, you know, you look back to the king of the indies, 2001, and guys that came out of that, like Joe Danielson, Daniels, uh, Adam Pearce, Super Dragon, Loki, AJ, all these guys that really formed the first decade of this century and really... We're part of my favorite era of wrestling ever, which is 2005 to 2008 ring of honor, which I got to be a, I'd say a part of by going to see a lot of it live. And these guys are all killing it. Now you have Joe and Danielson killing it on a, on AEW. Uh, Daniels is, you know, a part of it there. AJ's probably one of the better wrestlers in the, WWE, I'd say, and you know, Loki is a low profile right now, but Super Dragon's running PWG, and Adam Pearce is a producer in WWE. So all these guys are having huge influence, and more importantly, you're seeing things like Samoa Joe and Minoru Suzuki. CM Punk uh, wasn't part of the King of the Indies, but he was as big a part of Ring of Honor's early history as anyone, and he's killing it. And Danielson is somehow became better when he was already one of the best wrestlers of all time.
0: Yeah, we have been. We just talked last week about Punk and Danielson being possible one and two wrestler of the year right now in 2022. And you talk about Danielson, a guy who before we got on here, we've all three kind of said in the conversation for greatest of all time. So, yeah, it's, it's really nice to see literally the best wrestler possibly the best wrestler of all time as far as i'm concerned the best wrestler of all time continue to be the best wrestler of all time uh but yeah quentin thoughts on that and oh go ahead and possibly doing his best work yeah yeah quentin if you have any thoughts on that one and then feel free to uh transition into your your first topic
1: um it's actually going to be something along, along similar lines because while i do have an appreciation for that stuff my first exposure to a lot of these guys would have been in TNA uh, in 2004, 2005. That would have been my first time seeing guys like AJ, uh, Joe, Daniels, Alex Shelley, and a lot of the guys that would be, that'd be uh, really considered TNA guys in those formative early stages of the company. And that's probably got appreciation from them, like even as a child at that point. So I don't have like the ROH memories because I obviously you had to pay to watch. ROH DVDs and all that kind of stuff, and I can't be seven, eight years old trying to get my parents to buy uh, ROH (laughs) Ring of Honor DVDs. But that's
2: a lack of commitment, right there.
1: (laughs) But I have a, (laughs) I have CM Punk as my number one, actually. So this is perfect. Uh, uh, We'll see. CM Punk is my first uh, thing to be excited about. I think that is super interesting about CM Punk that he was gone for seven years, and Seven years is a really, really long time. Like think about how much you change as a person from the course of seven years if you just take any period of your life, go from like 17 to 24 and think about and think about how, and think about how much different you are as a person in that time frame. It's a long time. There's a lot of changes that go along with you as a person, your personality, what you're interested in, what you're passionate about. And this is a guy that had his passion for wrestling just completely stomped out of him by wwe and to come back and not just be good still not just be passable but legitimately great and the best overall performer on the on the AEW product is incredible and a testament to how special a wrestler cm punk is i think that he was the last guy that really broke uh wwe format broke their television like when he was on the screen other people felt fake they felt inorganic. They didn't feel sincere. He made everything about the format and the way everything is laid out and structured feel stupid. And for him to come out and have that same kind of effect on AEW, where I think there's maybe less inorganic feeling people. But when he talks, he just has a different quality to, the, to, to him that other people don't have. And then you have his commentary, which he's always been great at. You have the in-ring stuff and how great he's been in all his big matches and how varied and different they've all been. And it's, ha, it's been less than a year since Punk has came back. It's been less than a year and we have all these great matches that he's given us and these great promos, these great stories. And yeah, he's up there in age, but there's going to be a point in which CM Punk just keeps getting more and more comfortable. And I think we're getting there. And I'm excited to see what CM Punk a full year into his into his wrestling return looks like. Because if that's what we got out of let's say eight, nine months of Punk, then I would love to see what we're getting out of Punk in like December, 2022. So that would be my first one, a guy coming back to wrestling after seven years and being right back into being best wrestler in the world contention.
2: Well said.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, and and as we said, we talked about that just last week and, and Punk is a guy who I could have... And number one or two. And honestly, this AEW run, I am more than 100% like on the fact that this is the best in-ring punk has ever been. Like, I love tons of early punk. Always a great character, always a great promo. But the in-ring never quite clicked with me, even in the early ROH stuff. Um, he seemingly actually improved quite a bit toning down and like working the more sports entertainment style in WWE. I always, you know, joke about how he gifted uh, Undertaker his last good match and was able to make it look like Undertaker could still wrestle. Um, and I, I love to, you know, reference CM Punk's connection to Raven. It's almost like uh punk did for uh, Taker what Raven did for Terry Gordy, right. Where he made it look like he could still wrestle. And for years, uh, he fucking ate off of that where people thought Taker could still wrestle, but uh, you know, it, it, oh, after that, it just diminished and became more and more clear that Punk was just a fucking miracle worker. Even with that said, I think that the best Punk work we've ever seen, I've ever seen, is happening right now in AEW, and that's really fucking impressive. Um, either way, my number, my number five on this list. We talked about this last week too, so I wanted to have a counterbalance, Quentin, because I didn't want this. I knew YouTube would just have a bunch of you know everything is great. Mine is going to be a little bit snarky, a little bit negative, because I don't want us doing toxic positivity on this podcast. Um, so my number five. <laughs> thing to love about wrestling in 2022 is that brit rest is still dead um after speaking out and after all of that bullshit the brit rest scene has not just bounced back people have not turned a blind eye to it and just acted like everything's okay uh we have our good friend simon who just outright decides to treat it as if you the england is no longer exists the only person you've got raving about fucking rpw that's any prominence is uh know joe lanzo over voices of wrestling talking about how great it is when i watch all the shows too he's not the only freak who watches it i do watch it and it's mostly garbage there's not a ton there that's very good and i won't lie i do watch a bunch of brit rest still um it all fucking sucks and there's no reason to talk about it so that's why you don't hear me talking about it all the time um and that's a that's a positive to me because after a scene that toxic exploded the way that it did and after there's so many fucking shit bags both you know not just when it comes to wrestling and decisions, but also person real life and the shit that they were doing behind the scenes. I don't think that they deserve to just come back and, Oh, everyone acts like nothing fucking happened. And uh, yeah, that's my number five thing to thing to love about pro wrestling in
1: 2022. Uh, Yeah. You know, my thoughts on that one. So I'm all in favor yeah. of that include being included. Yes. All right, Dave.
2: <laughs> well, I, I thought you were going to say that your top, Favorite thing was the rumors would Enzo to AEW, but that's oh, even yeah. uh, it doesn't sound like that would be your scene.
0: No, so. no, uh, not exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dave, feel free. So, to... <laughs> Number four, yeah.
2: my uh, I, I have these all kind of as a five five way tie, but my my second thing is so I talked about wrestlers from the indie Genesis era. Uh, I would say wrestlers from the indie boom era, so the two thousand and tens. Uh, basically I see the pivotal event that started this era as being the first Evolve show, which had guys like uh, Chris Dickinson, Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, Chuck Taylor, Ricochet, Johnny Gargano, you know, and this is before you heard of, of at least some of these guys. And certainly way before they were the profile they are now. And, you know, you had uh, during this decade, you had the young bucks come up, and John Moxley and Adam Page also getting out there. Uh, I actually saw Adam Page on a PWS show in uh, Toronto for the WrestleCon in 2012, and I really thought he had a great future then. And I'm so glad to see it's come around. Um, so watching all these guys just absolutely destroying it right now. Uh, the Young Bucks have recently read their their book, and it really got me on the wrestling tear I'm on right now. Uh, it's it's a fantastic read and really it's so great to get a uh, view behind the scenes of stuff that I've been watching for the past 20 years. And sadly the small amount of money that people make on the indies. So it's great to see all these guys making it and being such a big part of AEW, which I'm a huge fan of.
1: Uh, Can I ask both of you guys a question? Like as guys that were like more or less there for like the beginning of uh, the the U.S. Indies getting some semblance of respect and the grind and work that people had to do in order to make that scene respectable in any kind of way. Was there ever a point that, despite how great some of these wrestlers might be, and we can talk about all the great wrestlers that have come through the U.S. Indies, but you know that that would be four or five hours of us talking about all some of the best wrestlers of all time. We're talking about like the the Claudios, mm-hmm. the Chris Heroes, the AJs, Joes. the the guys of that cloth that was there ever a part of you that thought that those guys would be remembered as fondly as they seem like they're going to be now, because even for me, it still seems kind of surreal that man, like AJ Styles, since he's been been in WWE, he's actually been super pushed and protected and is really well liked and loved to the point where even now the WWE lunatic people like think he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. And to see the kind of reception that Samoa Joe gets and guys like that, that did you, did you guys ever see something like something like that coming for, uh, for that generation of guys, Kevin Owens getting the main event, day one of WrestleMania with Steve Austin. Like, did you guys ever see any, anything like that coming or the kind of legacy that these guys are going to be able to leave behind now? Dave, feel free.
2: Yeah. I would say I knew they were all good enough. Uh, you know, like I actually, when I was, when I was going to like, Detroit, and New York, and Chicago in uh, 2005, 2006 to see to see all the Ring of Honor shows. I actually really I actually wrote to friends about my weekend when I went to New York for the first time and said I felt like uh, getting to go see the Beatles and the Stones and before they hit it big in the in the London and Liverpool scene. So um, I actually wrote that to Gabe Pawelski, and he seemed to appreciate it. So uh yeah they were always i I felt like i knew how good they were and when i know when daniel uh when punk and joe were both individually uh tna and WWF wwe champions and someone asked and say that this is in 2008 and someone asked punk if he thought they'd be there at that point he said yeah we knew how good we were and i'm glad to see that kind of stuff play out
0: i have to say no honestly um maybe I was just a lot more negative part of it too, that I always have to like go back to when I talk about this stuff is that like, even in the beginning of my fandom, I was never a WWE fan. I never really respected the WWE style. There's a few people that I like, obviously Brett, I t- talked a little bit about Brett, um, you know, but for the most part the the, the the presentation, the style, all that stuff just made me think like, not for me, so when that became the only option for these guys to do anything, I, it didn't cross my mind like, oh, yeah, like like Dave said there, like they would be good enough to do it. Because to my mind, it was never a never a thought about like, oh, you have to be good to, to do it there. It was like it's never going to happen because they don't fit in in a, in a fucking shithole like that. And I don't necessarily even want them to. Um, did I think that they would ha- build legacies? And someone like AJ tearing it up through TNA, I always knew like, yeah, but we talked about it ad nauseum. We talked about it enough when AJ showed up in New Japan. And then people were like, Oh, this AJ Styles guy sure, sure is good, huh? He came out of nowhere. No one's ever heard of him or seen him ever before. He's actually a good wrestler. And me and you, Quentin, were like, he's been this good this entire time. You know, like he this didn't just happen overnight. Uh, you just weren't watching TNA. So I kind of knew, like, even though he was killing it there the whole time, like. That didn't mean anything when Joe showed up in TNA and he had his monster run that then turned into like wackiness with all the titles. And even though the Kurt Angle feud was good, it like fell apart towards the end to where they had like, I think they had three matches within a month or something like that. Like something insane um, where they just completely killed this, get this angle that they built up really huge to devalue it completely. Um, it was just like, oh yeah, you know, that's TNA. That's what's going to happen. So, yeah, I mean, no, I never thought that this would happen. And it's kind of fucking insane sometimes to think about it, like just how just how like mainstream not only a lot of them are, but like that a lot of them are involved in creating a new mainstream, which actually, Quentin, if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of jump over you here because this leads into my number four topic, um, which is like the increasing irrelevance of WWE. That's my positive. Like. That's my thing to love about wrestling in 2022. And as I said, I'm trying to be the spoiler here. Um, As WWE continues to be less and less important, their numbers continue to drop culturally people don't care about them as much in the wrestling universe the only people who are still stuck thinking that they mean something and matter are the you know the people the the, the people the bean counters the executives at the top of the content factories thinking that this is something worthwhile and they're going to realize really quickly that they're going to sold a sold a bum bill of goods here um and the fact that we are exiting exiting the vampire castle um we're exiting the the shit that uh that I hated about that time period where I thought that the only thing that was possible was WWE and nothing else could happen. And we have a, uh, I talked about it that AEW doesn't seem like they're trying to create a bipolar wrestling you know, world, but they're actually trying to create like a multipolar wrestling world where there's multiple different large scale companies that everyone can do well. And it's almost, you know, similar to the, the, the standard that was set from the, the territories where there could be actual different, you know, different wrestling promotions that meant something and there could be jobs for a ton of people and there is actually something to to love about wrestling so that's a that was my number four Quentin, like I said I, I was able to jump in there because you you set me up so perfectly so feel free to go into your
1: number four uh this is good because mine is gonna be about something that you thought I was gonna come here with toxic positivity Tim, and I'm offended because I'm <laughs> very much looking forward to how quickly this Cody Rose thing is going to fall apart in WWE. Uh, I don't... Look, I don't wish him ill or anything. Uh, I don't have a problem with him. I don't think he's a bad wrestler. He's been largely yeah, right. good in, in AEW and has done some great things for them. The issue is, like we said, when it comes to WWE. And do I trust WWE to keep this guy special feeling so that eventually the things he does, his big stuff, eventually matters? No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't have it. Cody isn't necessarily a dream match guy because even though he's been gone for however many years, it's not like this necessarily the freshest array of opponents that he that he has. And not and like, am I looking forward to a big Cody versus Roman Reigns match? Not really. I guess I like the big Cody matches that had blood in them and cool blade jobs and all type and, and all types of stuff. But am I looking forward to? This big epic Roman Reigns match that might possibly happen at SummerSlam or wherever else they try to they try to make this happen at not not really. And I think that Cody is a master of knowing how to present himself and make himself look like a star. And I guess hopefully he has a lot of input on his creative direction and how he's learned how he looks aesthetically and how often he wrestles on TV and stuff like that. But I have zero optimism about this. And people who want there to be this, oh, the, the competition's great. See, they uh, WWE was able to get Cody and Cody's going to be able to get this paycheck from WWE and it makes everybody better. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, sounds good in theory. I don't think it's actually going to make WWE better at all. There's going to be work shoot promos and they're going to be like, you were over there. I was over here. And all types of lame shit that doesn't actually amount to anything. And I think, for the large part, this Cody Ro- this Cody Rhodes run is gonna sputter out and not amount to anything, and it's gonna be just good for the fact that he had the WrestleMania moment. And other than that, I really think that we're gonna see something that falls completely on his face. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was gonna say, uh, you know, Cody Rhodes is not a dream match guy. It's like, is there almost is there an opposite of a dream match? Is it the is it the nightmare? Is it the Uh. American nightmare match? Uh, Because, yeah, there's not a single match that on paper for Cody Rhodes. I'm excited about it on paper. Cody Rhodes is a guy who's in the work. I've praised Cody Rhodes as a worker. I think that he can make you care about matches with the storyline and the blood and all the, you know, Gaga. But there is not a single match on paper that you tell me Cody Rhodes versus anyone. And I go, yeah, I really want to see that there. There just isn't. I can't think of one. Um, Dave, do you have any thoughts on Cody Rhodes?
2: Uh, I I liked his Mania return. Uh, I would say it's a can't-miss opportunity for WWE, but that's actually not possible because WWE could miss on anything. Uh, I think the only dream match I can think right now is if they signed Dustin back, gave him the title, and then he put it over Cody and Mania next year. Otherwise, they're going to screw it up.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's probably true. Um, Dave, you got, uh, you got another topic for
2: us? I do. Uh, keeping on my theme, uh, I feel that watching guys from the indie evolution era, which is the best thing I can come up with for the current decade that we're in, uh, if they had the very first Ring of Honor show today, instead of Daniels, Lowkey, and Danielson, it would be main evented by three-way between Daniel Garcia, Wheeler, Utah, and Lee Moriarty. These guys are just phenomenal to watch and I have been really diving into IWTV lately. My current project is to watch the complete uh, Daniel Garcia 2021 and I'm actually throwing in from starting about June all the Eddie Kingston matches and then Danielson once he shows up in AEW. So I'm up to late summer and uh really enjoying it and it's You know, it's stuff that I'm watching from 2021, but I'm watching 2022 stuff as well. And just getting to see guys that grew up watching Danielson now try to wrestle like Danielson or wrestle as well as Danielson, not like him necessarily, is really the coolest thing. Uh, It's really the evolution of the sport. And I can't wait to see, you know, what guys who grow up watching these guys are like.
1: I think that, Uh, um, yeah. Go, go ahead, ahead go ahead, Tim. No, 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 quit and go. Yeah, I think that it's very it's a, it's a super interesting thing because that goes that goes into one, one, one it's on my list too. If you don't mind me going into it, Tim, but please, please, it goes into AEW's development of young talent, which I think is going to be a really big thing for them in twenty twenty two. I think that with the room that's made with Cody Rhodes' absence, I think we see how hurt and banged up Kenny Omega is, and Brian and Punk for as big as acquisitions as they are, wrestling logic says, hey, you get the most out of these guys as you can. You build up big matches and eventually this should be used to put over newer and younger talent. And we see that happening right now. We see the Jericho Appreciation Society, which I have thoughts about how effective this is actually going to be in the long run. But Daniel Garcia getting the rail shoulders with Chris Jericho. We see Wheeler Yuta in the Blackpool Combat Club. And it really makes me wonder what is the ceiling for these guys? Part of me always feels like if you just give the guys time, present them as credible and put them out there in front of an audience and you let them have a good match, you can get somebody over. I like part of me always think that think that's a, a foolproof formula that if you give someone the time and the effort and the commentary takes them seriously, you can get the person over as a star. But ultimately it also does come from, the rub that you get from these bigger names so while i'm while i'm hopeful to see what a cm punk adam cole kenny omega chris jericho brian danielson young bucks and etc can do for these guys ultimately what helps them or what you should be building too is them having these big encounters like within their generation within their classes so you want to build to like of Wardlow versus Powerhouse Hobbs. You want to build to Daniel Garcia versus Willa Yuta being rekindled on AW programming. You want to see you want to see things like that happen. So, is twenty twenty two the year where we see progress towards that kind of stuff, where the young guys get the feud with each other because they have enough they have enough built up credibility on the programming that people are going to be interested in it? Or is it possible we see like a Jericho Appreciation Society versus Blackpool Combat Club thing in the marquee? a uh, matchup in that is Garcia versus Judah. I think it's a possible thing. And I think that AW now has, has their established stars. And now they're to a point where they need to take some swings and see who they can get over on that level. We see that they missed with Semi Guevara and Kanti right now. They missed. They put them together on paper. It sounds like it could be a cool thing, but as a face act, they swung, they missed. Not really doing it. With the jury's still out on the Jungle Boy's as a singles guy, but we see that he has the potential there. MJF has already has himself solidified as top heel, and we and Darby's been one of the best wrestlers in the company since day one. So now it's up to that next level. How are we going to get these guys over? Are they ready? And what are we going to do? And what is our plan for that? And I think that that's one of the mo- things I'm super excited and, t- and intrigued for. Yeah,
0: yeah i i agree with everything there uh i don't know david if you had anything else there i
2: know well it's just so great to have a company where it feels like it can happen in fact i really have high hopes for the hopeful full relaunch of ring of honor because then we'll have two companies where it can happen
0: yeah no and it feels like we're getting there even something you know just com- just thinking comparing noticing something like from last night you've got a a big multi-person tag match um, with the, the young bucks and the, and the, the, the undisputed, if you will. And uh, on the other side of the ring, it's all young guys, but it's all young guys who seem like there's potential there. Like you said, and it doesn't feel like they're just there just as an afterthought. You could put almost anybody there, but you've got people there who maybe you don't even think of as someone that they're, you know, AEW actually has plans for like, you know, Brock Anderson, who seems like, Oh, he should be, can't miss right. Second generation, his dad has, you know, got some stroke in the back, all that kind of stuff. But I even hear people act like he's like, Oh, they don't care about him. They're not pushing him. He's nothing. Well, they put him in something like this is a high profile situation. Right. And that means something. You don't put someone like that on TV in a high profile situation when you've got as large of a roster as AEW does, they could put anybody in there. You know, that he doesn't need to be in there unless it means something, you know? So that's the kind of thing where you go, okay, like they, they have something, they have plans. They have a lot of people who are going to get there. Um, but I'll say my uh, my number three topic here, keeping with the train, someone who hopefully they don't you don't see in there. Someone hopefully they don't have plans for because my number three thing to love in wrestling in 2022 is no Johnny Gargano. There hasn't been a single Johnny Gargano match in 2022. And I feel like the <laughs> wrestling world has been much better without him. I do when he, not when like he come, Johnny Gargano. When he,
1: when he comes back, he's going to be good, though, man. <laughs>
0: Oh, sure. Sure he is. I'm sorry. I've been hearing about this supposed good Johnny Gargano for a very long time and I have yet to see it. The people going crazy for that almost match. Calm the fuck down. People were saying that was the greatest match in the history of WWE. Quentin, do you want to be associated with perverts who say things like that?
1: I, I, I don't, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, you're
1: that's why my... you're, you're making a great point here. <laughs> this took a turn. Wow! <laughs> yeah. I just—he's gone. He had a kid. That's
0: good. Candice was the better wrestler of the two, anyways. Let her do the wrestling. Johnny can stay at home with the baby. Everything's fine. Um, I just—I never—I've never liked Johnny Gargano. Never will like Johnny Gargano. Dave, I know your old podcast partner Dylan Hales buried the hatchet with Johnny, and they're good friends. Maybe we'll end up seeing Johnny on a sub show at some point. I don't know. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, he can stay away from wrestling uh, for the entire year and and maybe even longer.
2: I I will admit that I am a fan of Johnny Gargano. I don't know where he fits in though in 2022.
1: Mm. Uh, yeah, that's stiff. <laughs> I know. That's it's um it's something I have on my list to talk about. Not Gargano specific, but it's but it's something pertaining pertaining to the Johnny and his situation that is on my list. So I'll talk I'll talk, I'll talk okay. to that in a second.
0: Okay. Um, I guess, I don't know where we're at. I think we've all gone through our threes. Maybe. I know, Dave, yours are not really ordered. And I mean, mine really aren't either. Um, but you know, whatever. I put them in in a list. Um, but I think maybe time for time for us to get to the big top two. (laughs) Uh,
2: so I guess I can start. Uh, I will say this would be probably my controversial pick. Uh, but I'd say uh, basically wrestlers who are influenced right now by the athletic recruitment era is the best I can call it. So I really hate the fact that WWE has decided that indie wrestling sucks and that they don't want to sign indie wrestlers. I think that's horrible for their business. That being said, I do like the other strategy. I just think they should be doing both. So I do like the strategy of recruiting, you know, strong athletes. Uh, broad break. uh Braun Breaker is like a no brainer and not everyone's going to hit at his level that he has, but I do, I have been loving watching his rise and I'm a huge mark for the Creed brothers. And, you know, you even look at uh, Bianca Belair is someone who shows that if you do the long game on this, it can work out. She wasn't great right away, but she is now. And Roman Reigns is even an example of that. WWE sucks, but these performers are great.
0: Yeah. And even a comparison to a good company, you go like Wardlow, who was a boxer MMA or judo judica guy before he got into wrestling. And, uh, and, uh, you know, he's fucking phenomenal and a thing to love about wrestling in 2022. And I'm with you. I think that when it hits, it hits, but it's dumb for for you to put all your eggs in that basket. And I will say that it's been a, a major hindrance when it comes to WWE and recruiting female talent, because, um, there's not a ton. Bianca Belair is a good example, but uh, other than her, I mean, they seem to be rather than recruiting female, you know, athletic talent and 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 people who can, you know, perform at a, in a high level of athleticism. They're hiring women based on looks, um, and uh, it's not working out as well, I would think. Um, and you even look at someone like Marina Shafir, who you could say is the same thing. I mean, she's an ex MMA fighter. Um, and she's looking great in AEW and she got cut out of WWE because she doesn't fit their mold. You know what I mean? And it's, it just goes to show again that like, I think that while I'm with you and I don't hate like pulling from top level wrestlers, obviously it seems like maybe the thing or top level athletes, maybe the thing is to get somebody who's a top level athlete, whose a father happened to also be a wrestler because Roman Reigns and Braun Breaker being good examples of it actually working. Um, But uh But it doesn't seem to be panning out for them when it comes to female talent, which is, I think, really important for them. And they've built a lot of their fan base the past couple of years around having high caliber, high level women's talent. And that tends to be the number one linchpin that people use as their argument against AEW. Um, And if if WWE is falling asleep at the wheel when it comes to recruiting female talent, while AEW is doing a good job of uh, starting to build a female roster that has a lot of really good wrestlers, um, I think that we'll eventually see the the tide turn on that one. Uh Quentin, do you have any thoughts on the uh the athletic era? Let's say the uh the the think, wrestlers that, as athletes.
1: I think that uh Dave nailed it there. Like ideally it should be both. There's no reason why it can't be both. Like someone like Brock Lesnar is like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of guy, but he's one of the best wrestlers of all time. And that's what he that's what he comes from. And there's other guys that we love that come from that same kind of athletic. Sports first, sports based background. I mean, I mean, we just go through wrestling history, and that's where most wrestlers came from before they became wrestlers. They were football players, amateur wrestlers, whatever the, whatever they were. They didn't have aspirations of coming in. in my whole life, I want to, I want to be a wrestler. I'm going to grind on the indies and do whatever. Like, so ideally, there is a mix there, and I think that now it's not that uh, WWE's falling asleep at the wheel and, like, letting some of these people go and, like, letting AEW get their roster together now, I think that they're just not training them well or in the case of, like, they're putting them on TV too quickly. Like, I was someone that watched FCW and other other developmental territories. If prospects were raw, they were raw. And you would hide them for a little bit and put them on TV when you were confident. But there's also the expectation that when you put them on there, that... They will know what they're doing at least somewhat. Either way, you're still hiding them. You're hiding them because FCW is only broadcasted on the Florida on the Florida loop and lo- on lo- on local Florida stations. You're able to hide them to some extent. When you have these, when you have these people like Nikita Lyons and Lash Legend on USA Television, it's not helping anything. It's not developing them. It's not making them any better. You're over exposing them in a way in which like. Where are they gonna get any type of traction or momentum? Because if all we're seeing is these are these really bad fuck ups from people that are coming from these backgrounds, then you know that's that's gonna that's gonna make things, that's gonna make things tougher. So yeah, there's people like the uh, like Braun Breaker and the Creed Brothers, Gable Stevenson, like that are gonna like come through and might 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 wind up being good on the roster. Braun Breaker, I like, but also. I'm skeptical of it because Brown Breaker is still a short guy and the way in which it seems like a renewed push from Vince is, is making things seem, I don't know if I trust it, but I think that there's also something to be said. I think that the training has gotten worse and it's not like the PC was churning out all of this great talent before. It was, it's rare to find someone as good as Bianca Belair that came out, that came out of the PC. She's the exception to the rule. She's not the norm. And I think that somehow the training has gotten worse. I don't know what changed. I don't know who got cut that was a big part in that who was a big part in that. But I think the big thing is not that the that not that the athletic recruitment era is bad. It feels like there's something changed here as to where the training might not be there the way that it used to be.
2: I think yeah. it speaks also to the loss of some that were like evolved where it was almost the developmental for the developmental.
1: Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. No. No, definitely and not having those connections to that or the, At- or, the, or, or, the or the house shows like for as far yeah. as i know as far as i know i don't think they tw- they tour NXT anymore on the on the house show loop i don't know uh um, yeah they
2: don't
1: like that was valuable yeah. time for the people that weren't that weren't ready for tv yet we can make fun of it as much as we want to about like certain people that had to work it that had no business working those kind of shows but that was stuff that mattered for people that really were developmental projects. And if you don't have that, and you're just trotting them on that to, na- to like national television every week. You're not, you're not helping anybody. Well, and we
0: talked about, you know, Cody earlier and, and, and one of the positives, I guess they say about him signing here. And maybe it's a major sacrifice as far as he's concerned to sign to WWE is, is the legacy of his father. But I think Dusty's legacy in developmental might actually weirdly be like under under underappreciated because even if he wasn't necessarily they say you know he wasn't you know training the nuts and bolts mechanics in the ring like the confidence that comes with someone of Dusty's stature and ability to to bump people to puff people up and make them feel good about themselves about the work as their character because you hear stories about the way that Dusty made people feel as they got it and as they learned and as they got better, even if it was supposedly that it was his job to teach them about charisma and promos, that confidence as a promo and that confidence as a character is going to lead to you feeling more confident in the ring and going to lead to you not looking as shaky and not looking as much like you're trying to remember what you're doing and, and feeling again, confident, feeling like you know who you are feeling like this is second nature because the character that I am is just an extension of the real me. And, and I think that honestly, this might be something that people don't think about and don't talk about is that Dusty made people actually feel comfortable and in their own skin when they were in the ring. So they could stop thinking about going through the motions and start just living and breathing in the ring as a fucking wrestler, because that's what makes wrestlers good. You know, there's the, the old thing like the, when wrestlers get good is when they stop giving a fuck. The time when someone is at their best is when they don't give a fuck. You think about Dave Batista. The best Dave Batista ever was was when he stopped caring at all and was just completely on his bullshit. And then he was like a transcendent level star. You got to be that confident and you got to feel like you're just being yourself and not giving a shit and not feeling nervous and scared and all that. And I think that, yeah, like Dusty, helping people feel confident that way probably was a big part of helping the culture of the of the PC and the culture of NXT and all of that to make actually make stars that were legitimately like came across like stars on television. And I think that's something that people don't think about. It doesn't cross anyone's mind because that's not, you know, he wasn't training people in the ring. Well, yeah, like I said, it's all part of the same thing. Cause the same person who does XYZ is also the same person who's in the wrestling ring, like having the matches um, either way. I don't know where we are anymore. I forgot. Uh, I guess it's t- number two is Quentin. Do you want to go? <laughs> do you have your number two? Do you want me to do mine? Yeah, I can go. Um,
1: all right. I was mentioning it with Jenny Gargano but the, future, but the future of the indie scene in a, in a post-talent hoarding world, I think, is going to be very interesting. We've said on this podcast before, I don't think the solution is all these guys that got signed in WWE's talent hoarding era just all flocking to AEW is necessarily good for wrestling either. Even if they're a better company, that's not exactly what I want to see happen or how I think wrestling can grow or be in a more healthy place. I would be interested to see Johnny Gargano. He's a big name, but do I want to see him in eight? that be necessarily probably not, but ROH under Tony Khan's leadership. I think I'm interested. I think, I think, I think I'm interested. I Beth Busick, since he's come back has been really, has been, has been really good. We get to see like, you know people might laugh at this but like like a team like TMDK being being back around and back on the and back on the indie scene and someone like ACH who we've talked about and has had his own struggles with mental health and his own motivation when it comes to professional wrestling just had one of the best matches of the year with Speedball Speedball not necessarily a WWE case but a guy that was gone for 6 years from the US indie scene now coming back and being able to like take advantage of the things that he should have been able to take advantage of 6 years ago And as we look to like more of these cuts and a lot of these indie indie guys who were signed during WWE's talent hoarding uh, time, I wonder and I hope that the talent gets dispersed evenly across a bunch of promotions and whether that's MLW, New Japan, AEW, Ring of Honor, uh, people that just want to work the indie grind, whatever. Like I want to see it because... WWE destroyed the Indies. They eviscerated, annihilated, destroyed the US Indie scene. Eviscerated and destroyed the UK Indie scene too, but also fuck them. They deserve to die. This is a scene that got annihilated. Like for as much as I enjoy violence Forever, and this is no shade towards them, I'm just using it to make a point, is that other than the workhorsemen, where was the other tag team that was supposed to give violence Forever a run for their money? On for the IWTV Tag Team of the Year awards. There's other good tag teams that exist, sure, but realistically, was there a team that was going to have an actual claim against the forever? No. No. Those guys are talented. They're great. Kevin Koo deserves all all the success and new bookings and chances that he gets. Same thing with Dominic Garini, but they also had no competition. And I'm just curious to see will the U.S. indie scene get back to a more healthy place as more talent comes back out? Or will we just be having everyone do AEW shots, which again, I don't feel like is necessarily a great thing either because any kind of monopoly on wrestling is bad. And what I want to see is that talent more evenly. I'm not going to sit there and act like I'm the biggest MLW or Impact fan in the world. But if you're telling me that like Mustafa Ali once he once he leaves WWE, wants to go to MLW or Impact instead. I'm I'd be more inclined to watch Impact at that point.
2: Yeah, I uh, I agree with that, Dave. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I like I don't want to see everyone just flock to AEW. I want to see guys maybe cycle in and out, like do a shot in AEW here, tour for a month. You know, go to Impact. Go to ROH if it's there.
1: Almost uh, like almost like this uh, territories thing that that used yeah. to happen before WWE ruined that too. <laughs>
2: yeah, I just you know I want these guys to be able to make money and entertain at the same time.
1: Yeah, I like it. And Biff being being the
0: the ace of the Indies and being the best wrestler, you know, on the Indies is is fucking great. The best wrestler, you know, is not John Moxley on the whoever wrestles on the Indies is good. Like. I, I love that and and uh, getting to see what he can do because he's delivering and, and it would be nice to have more more people doing that. So I, I agree with you there. Um, my uh, my next topic maybe transitions off that a little bit. It has to do with the Indies. It's uh, I talked about it uh, recently, but the rise and fall of GCW the grimy indies running off the tweed good indie fans. And then now the good indie wrestling coming back and we've only got the normal fans. And I like that because we've got, we've got crowds that seem like they're more into wrestling for wrestling on the indies now. And a lot less of like everyone is just here to see the memes. you've got Dan Housen signed to AEW. So people aren't here to see him as much. You've got, you know, Bussy are the tag team champions in GCW, but you've got a lot of other indies that are just wrestling show. They're booking shows where I think like, oh, I'm super excited to see Brian Keith show up. I'm you know starting to see him more. And then I see him show up in freelance in Chicago and uh, they're going fucking crazy for the guy because they know who he is and his reputation precedes him instantly. He shows up and he feels like a star because they care about him. And that's what I'm talking about is indie wrestling coming back with fans who are here to see wrestling. And I think I, I talked about it, I started this, I formulated this concept, GCW, I think ran off a lot of, and death matches in general, ICW probably gets some credit for this too, but death match promotions becoming the only thing that was around, ran off a lot of the, the a little bit too cutesy fans. And now we're getting indies that have fans who are actually here just to see wrestling. Uh, and I'm here for it. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, of indie wrestling, getting back to normal, having some big stars, having some blood, having some stuff that seems violent and dangerous. And the crowds are being into it for for the sake of, of the visceral nature of it as a violent spectacle. Dave, the new name of your, uh, your uh, sub stack is perfect, pretending to fight, because the whole point, right, is that it's a fucking fight. And I like that indie wrestling is coming back to stuff being a fight and a lot less being a joke. I'm with you. <laughs> All right. Um, if you want to head on to your next topic, feel free.
2: Uh, so, my last one is, I mean, every every one of them is basically about people being influenced. So, uh, wrestlers who were influenced by classic women's wrestling. So, this includes All Japan Women in the 80s and 90s. And I also throw Shimmer and their generation in there as well. Uh, any woman wrestler coming up today is going to be influenced by that stuff. And that's Stephanie McMahon's uh, WWE title run. So... You know, Shimmer basically made it cool to be, do American Joshi and try to establish that. And then you have stardom that's come out of it. That's possibly the best promotion in the world. Uh, it's at least up there. And, uh, you know, I was disappointed that someone like Momo Watanabe wasn't the champion when Utami Ayasashida was. because, of, But I hadn't really seen her yet in her first couple title matches last year were okay but then she became one of the best wrestlers in the world and her stuff with Shuri was amazing and just watching them all kill it right now and uh, the Joshi scene people coming there from all over is amazing so watching the influence that the previous generations have had on that product as well as women's wrestling I'm a huge fan of Willow Nightingale and I'm really getting into Masha Slamovich as well uh, this is just next level stuff
0: Nice, yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, the women's wrestling is definitely turning it up. Quentin, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Uh, yeah, it's funny that uh, uh, Dave mentioned Stardom because they're actually like the last thing on my list. But nice. yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad. I think that it's a, it's an interesting thing because WWE, if we're looking, if we're judging it based on NXT 2.0, it seems to be going in the opposite direction again. Sadly, it seems like we're regressing really, really badly. In the biggest company in the world when it comes to women's wrestling. And AW, for all the legitimate complaints and critiques that there can be about their women's division so far in their existence, they haven't gone to that point or that lane for stoop that low. And they've given people like Trisha Dore and, Will- and Willow Nightingale shots on dark and stuff like that. So they clearly have an intention of, of, of presenting women's wrestling a certain way. And the women that we do have on the indies and getting shots in major promotions, I think I think have superstar potential. Willow has grinded has grinded her way through wrestling and gotten better, uh, legitimately better for the last few years. Masha Slamovich has real star aura, and I as for as much as it disappoints me to see WWE going in the opposite direction after all the goodwill they bought, they bought after uh, from. Uh, presenting like the biancas sasha's charlotte's ronda rousey's and becky's a certain way that we're going back to these attitude era ask 2000s ruthless aggression era ask presentations of women that that's not going to be the norm in wrestling i don't think so i i think i think that's a good thing uh tim do do you have one before i do before i do mine
0: Oh yeah, I uh, For some reason, I thought that was you getting into yours. Yeah, feel free. actually, I didn't
1: know if you had. I didn't know if you had thoughts on like what Dave said. That's why I was.
0: You know, no, no. I actually do. I just have one thought about that, and it actually came from what you were just saying there, which is it's just like kind of the amalgamation of all the stuff, um, all the stuff on Dave's list, and it's funny because she hasn't come up. But you talk about recruiting from from athletes, you talk about like uh, influence from the the kind of the indie. The, the original indie boom uh, from, you know, training with Dan, with Brian mm-hmm. Danielson. Uh, you talk about the, you know, the, the Joshi, the, the hard hitting kind of Joshi style wrestling of uh, the old Ultra Japan is Jade Cardgill. She kind of fits all the quadrants. When you think about it, like she's, like I said, she's training with Daniel Bryan. She's a professional or a semi-professional level basketball player. And uh, she has hard hitting, tough looking fights that come across like uh, like kind of like the old school um Joshi stuff and uh yeah so so I was just like oh shit it's funny that she didn't come up here at all but in some ways she kind of fits all the stuff you're talking about Dave
2: Yeah and with her and Bianca Belair both having a uh, major titles in women's wrestling it's really great to see representation of there as well
1: Yeah
0: for sure for sure So yeah that was that was the only thing that crossed my mind Quentin uh but feel free to get into yours
1: uh, but yeah Dave touched on them for a second but mine is stardom. uh I think stardom is definitely a really big thing to be excited for in wrestling right now. Uh, you uh, wrongfully lampooned her last time we talked about with stardom, but like having Kyrie Kyrie Hojo back is like, oh okay. Uh, okay, okay, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead, so.
0: No, no, I just, I don't need to defend myself, whatever. It's fine. I, I I think I somewhat, you know, I, I stand by what I said. I don't, I didn't say that she was bad. I said that I felt like they squandered a very special moment by having her come back and just feel like she's just the same as everybody else. Um, But you know, that's all, that's it. I wasn't saying, I think maybe it was taken by people me saying that it was, she was bad. It was bad. No, I just was saying, you only get one chance to redebut um And you could make something big out of it, and it just felt like it was like, oh, she's just back, and like she's the same as she ever was.
1: As I said, as you wrongfully lampooned uh, Kyrie Hojo the last time we talked about stardom. Um No, I think that she's such a she's a really right, big
2: Quentin. Like, Quentin, I'm really sorry to break in here, Timothy. You were definitely the Dylan to Quentin's Dave. Holy crap!
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Quentin. <laughs> You're good man. But like. Like for for all the momentum that start that stardom has built up here, uh, over the over the last two years or so, having Kyrie come back is a really good like planting the flag, we're for real kind of moment. And yeah, she might not be a regular; she might not wrestle a ton based off her health and also getting married and stuff like that. Was also just a really cool thing that they could dive back into having Kyrie Hojo back on the roster when they've all over the last few years since she's been gone. They've developed an insane one, you know. We have Julie, we have Julia, and other people that have come to stardom that might not necessarily been like stardom trainees, but have jumped right into the roster and have felt at home like a sh- like a sh- We have Mayu Iwatani who who's been holding down the fort. Mama Watanabe, who I feel like has got pushed down, and for her talent level, I feel like isn't utilized as much as she should, but is still uh, viewed as like a. Um, he was one of the best wrestlers on the roster, and someone that they clearly value on some level. Utami Hayashida, Sayaka Matani, like there's a bunch of talent in which they've de- in, w- in which they've developed. Kaguma, Saya Iida, and even people that they bring in for like the random spot shows or the big mega shows that they're bringing if they're gonna bring in Takumi Aroha or Yoshi or Yoshiko or an you know, of Nakajima, and like you can't rule out the possibility of Io Shirai. And you don't want someone to lose their job. But at the same time, if we look at the direction that WWE is going in, do we think that is like necessarily a guarantee that Io Shirai survives the next couple of rounds of cuts or that Io Shirai even wants to stay in WWE? Those are, those are things that are really interesting and fascinating. And if it, Io Shirai is back out there, when you look at the roster that they've already accumulated, already have developed, you're not so Starlight kids, Azumis, up and down, up and down the roster, Hameka and Micah. There's a ton to work with. And stardom has already changed so much in all the in, in, in the absences of Kyrie and EO. And there's things that I don't necessarily love. I don't love I don't love Sherry and I don't love Otami Hai Shishida. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend that I'm the biggest fans of these of these uh wrestlers in the world, but I think if you introduce Kyrie and Io, who are proven great wrestlers, and you throw them into the mix, we could, possi- we could possibly see the best versions of both of those women if they insist on go on doing these big 25, 30, 35-minute matches. Like I would love to see what an Io Shirai-Tam Tam Nakano match looks like right now. So I'm very excited for stardom and what the future could possibly be. And, yeah, some of this is hedging my bet that EO could be on the way soon. But, you know, I'll, I'll call my shot there.
0: <laughs> I like it. Um, and, yeah, now, now that we know uh, Dave is a, a big stardom proponent here saying, you know, promotion of the year or whatever, JML better watch out. He might get moved to a full-time Hollywood sicko correspondent. And we might have <laughs> Dave Musgrave slip in to talk about stardom with us here moving forward. Um, <laughs> yeah,
2: Dave, that's a, a bit of having a huge influence on me.
0: yes yes of course um uh, yeah i i I don't know dave do you have any thoughts on that because you i know Stardom. you just said promotion of the year best promotion that there is probably do you have any anything you want to say about quentin's uh, positivity there about stardom
2: uh bravo and by the (laughs) way i don't mean to i didn't mean to draw any uh you know negative comparisons to wrestling culture i just really got a kick out of the dynamic feeling very familiar (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, yes, um, of course. Um, again, it's, it's just natural. You know, it's, it's how it goes. Um, but yeah, I'm with you, Quentin. I think stardom. If I was doing a list that was more positives, I probably would have had stardom on my list because uh, it's been phenomenal. Um, it's been the most consistently good promotion. It's growing um yeah it's like you know stardom, stardom stardom shows aren't like dynamite where you know you just watch the first half and skip the second half um stardom shows you can watch the whole show so you know there is the positive there
2: um that said my and, number one okay oh, sorry they're also one of the best companies in the world possibly the best for building to the future
1: yes that's yeah for i sure. think the um like i think AEW was still like uh, the jury's still out there but i think i think i consider but it wasn't necessarily like a thing to look forward to because i feel like the development of uh young stars in japanese companies has like stalled out really badly yeah. during the pandemic so i think that it's really admirable for stardom that they've been able to figure that out and keep the machine going and rank and dragon gates done like a, done a pretty good job too they always turn out great wrestlers but i think that the star making machine in these uh japanese companies has been really really halted the last couple of years and stardom has not faced that problem
0: yeah and one day i will be able to watch dragon gate again and i'll find out about this stuff but uh unfortunately i just have to take your word on it for now um my number one is kind of a positive though so i did have a positive my number one thing to love about wrestling in 2022 is that iwtv won um <laughs> and uh, I don't just mean the settlement series, um, but they did win that, which is great. Um, no, no, but, but uh, like,
1: no, but GCW, we 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 won. It was yeah. a win for our library yeah. and everything.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they, we got all the stuff that we said was already ours, and now we have to run shows and we can't monetize them, uh, other than the live gate, which I'm gonna guess is not doing GCW that well. Either way, um, not the point because that's not what I mean when I say IWTV won. Even though they did, um, I mean IWTV won the streaming wars. IWTV, when it started and we talked to Dylan about it, it I might've been me and Pete, you know, early on, um, fuck when, when the tweets were going before IWTV even formed, um, and we talked about it. The idea was having a streaming service that was an umbrella for a ton of wrestling for wrestling as a whole, for wrestling culture, we'll say to be stronger under for people to come there as a one-stop shop. And that model won. The WWE over-the-top model, the everybody-has-their-own-streaming-service model failed. IWTV is not only, you know, to me, the biggest and most important version of this, but it's also the model that, say, Wrestling Universe is taking after, right? And you're seeing that continue to grow because the idea, and you see WWE sells the WWE Network to Peacock because it was not sustainable, it was not going to be as profitable, for them to continue to have it be its own solo thing. And so that's why I say IWTV won when it comes to the streaming wars and the concept of how does this work? The streaming network, the watch everything, get all of your wrestling in one place model obviously ended up winning out. And that's a thing to love about wrestling in 2022, because that means I just turn on IWTV and I get weekends where they have 10, 11 streams over the weekend, all live. They have three streams going on at once. Sometimes you know, live wrestling plus all the back catalog plus adding, fucking, <laughs> adding stuff like um what did they just? They just added something insane,
1: like a AJW. Joshi w, all Japan. Yeah, yeah, um, All Japan ba- Women. When, when, when are they added Battle Arts last year, oh, no. yeah.
0: The kind of shit that they're adding in there, and the library that you have at your disposal for what is it? Ten dollars a month? I, I I don't.
2: I'm not. It's yeah, so it's cheap. What it is? It's ridiculous. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and again, all of the possible streams that you can watch live, all of the VOD that you can watch. And I'm just so happy that the, you know, pay-per-piece, well, you know, the, the W model completely fucking died. Like, no one's buying individual shows anymore. Um, but, yeah, the idea that you're going to pay in, for one streaming service for one company, for each company, no, fuck all that. Like, you got IWTV. Not only are they the biggest, not only do they have the best, most impressive library, but also their concept, is what now other promotions, other places are seemingly going to have to follow in the footsteps of, as I talked about, Wrestling Universe. There, the Cyber Agent trying to do the same thing and looking like we're going to get to the same place with New Japan World, where now they're adding AEW to New Japan World, and hopefully we end up with like Stardom World getting kind of mixed into that, and we just have one thing. And yeah, I, I would say I, I, IWTV one IWTV really changed the landscape of how people watch wrestling. Um, and I think we're all the better for it. Um, yeah, and it couldn't be a, and it couldn't be a better group of people doing it because at least you kind of know that these are people who actually give a shit about wrestling, um, and actually care about it and not looking at this as just like a way to make money. Um, so that's, uh, that's to me, that's really cool. So that's my, my thing to love about wrestling in 2022.
2: They won uh... by the way. (laughs) They definitely did.
1: Um, when, uh, when Powerbomb first started, like, I remember, think like, everyone being like kind of skeptical of like how like how expansive is this going to wind up being, and how will this wind up working out? And we have seen promotions that have been been like their existence almost has been entirely been been on IWTV, and it's worked out great for them. There are some of the best promotions in the uh, in the co- in the country going right now, and they have they, their stream some streams have become must watch you have to really give kudos to like west to west coast pro becoming a must becoming a must-see stream now you know it's not as big as you know gcw shows are and maybe they won't ever catch up to that but in terms of having another super indie type promotion that exists iwtv has one now and that's a really hot ticket that is a that's a that's a hot that's a hot stream that's going to be promoted and gifted and talked about and live tweeted and everything like that in like I almost feel like that's what IWTV was missing. Beyond is beyond and they'll always be successful and Drew does a good job over there and they always churn, churn and develop a, a lot of talent. But Beyond isn't a super show kind of thing. And I think that while Beyond develops great talent in Uncharted Territory and other stuff that they do are always interesting watches, now that there's a super show type promotion that they that they, uh, IWTV can boast, I think that is like, a real planting the flag kind of thing for them that we're really here. We're not just developing talent that's, that's eventually going to get plucked in, uh, and, uh, picked up by other, by other promotions. that we're not, uh, necessarily on the best of terms with.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, Dave, well, thanks for coming on with us. Did you have any other anything else you wanted to get into talk about or, or anything else you wanted to uh maybe plug or no yeah, speaking of
2: streams i could really use the trip to the washroom so i guess we'll wrap
1: up
0: fair fair all right let's wrap her up uh yeah thank you for being on quentin feel free to uh to do your thing
1: oh yeah um obviously thanks again to uh to today for doing this obviously uh Tim, I was fully prepared to tell you that I did not want to do a podcast this week and then you approached me with, "Oh, Dave Musgrave wants to come on." And I was like, "You know what? <laughs> I think I have time to do a podcast this week." So, oh, thank you for doing it on
2: your birthday of all days.
1: <laughs> so, nice. No, it's, it's, it's 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 awesome man. it's like a like a podcasting uh goal checked off. So, it's this is this is cool. So,
2: getting getting back in the game is amazing for me. So, thank you guys.
1: So, obviously, thanks to Dave and tim here and check out dave substack uh, pretend uh, pretending pretending to fight pretend to fight i don't i don't want to butcher it
2: pretending to fight that's substack.com
1: and whatever date whatever dave has coming up because it'll be great and thank you all for listening to this and hope you're here next time
3: No way